Hey y'all, Cinna here. Just want to give a brief heads up that uh, this episode begins with some weird, raunchier stuff than we normally do. Um, I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and leave like actual warnings in the description for the episode, but uh, if you don't want to hear it, like just go ahead and skip forward. Uh, I'll leave a timestamp in the description. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Stay cool, Chads. さらたいでも愛想としないその繰り返しの中収まようって僕が見つけた答えは一つ怖くたって傷ついたって好きな人には好きって伝えるんだ So first I called you a coward because I thought, wait, hold on a minute, my, what the fuck is up with my microphone? What is up with your microphone? That's not a good sign. I'm just gonna turn my volume up on my recording. What, is it quiet? It's super quiet. Okay, I I meant to tell you uh, that last week your recording was pretty quiet too. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. What a yeah, what a transition. You go from some horny Five Nights at Freddy's business into <laughs> whisper quiet recording. You know, I I think there are some areas of the world that this could be considered sacrilegious. <laughs> what I'm saying is there's a, a huge Five Nights at Freddy's fandom that really just wants to fuck those animatronics. And I don't I don't get it most of the time. It's sounds fucked up. Speaking of sounding, test, test, one, two. Well, that's <gasps> better. Still quiet. You can't just say speaking of sounding, Sam. I just did. <laughs> speaking of sounding, a small metal rod which is inserted into the urethra and struck for sexual purposes. <laughs> this is... Is it struck? Is that a part of 
Yeah, you you strike it because you're supposed to vibrate it to produce the sound. That's what makes the sound happen. You're killing me. Yeah, you don't like drive it in with a hammer or whatever, but you know. No, 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 no. It's like a uh, yeah. You just get it to produce the tone. I was one of the two people in my graduate program, uh, <laughs> so I I have a. Where is this transition going? Where is this? Transition I have a master's going? degree in marriage and family therapy. Uh, so okay. we took a, a sex therapy class, um, and I was one of the only two people in the class who knew what sounding was, and so we had, it came up because we had to visit a sex shop as a part of, like, our coursework for that class, because, um, like, it's something you might have to, like, recommend, or you might wind up recommending to a client if it's something that might, you know, be comfortable for them, just to, so, like, have it a, a familiarity with it, and so I think somebody saw that and it's like what was going on with that and the two of us who knew were like okay so this is this is what that is am i gonna have to put a warning on this episode to be like hey warning this is the weirdest schnastiest episode of bleach cast we've ever had you're you're also just allowed to cut out everything that has to do with sounding i wouldn't say no if you just cut that struck that one from the record yeah, as, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that that would be an acceptable executive decision to just be like, pe- the people don't need to hear this one. I will remind you, as the one who edits the podcast, anything that stays in is your fault. Oh, yeah, I, I'm well aware, Sam. Thank you for reminding me, though. Oh, my God. So, I, I, I don't know where to go from that. That's okay. Okay. So, so, there's a guy in Five Nights at Freddy named William Afton. No, we're not getting back into this. <laughs> we're not fucking talking about William Afton and why people want to fuck the animatronic. I don't know. I'm not doing it. Uh, okay. Okay. This is... This is... I know I say this a lot on this show, but this is an energy to enter this podcast with. I... Our structure this week is going to be a little weird. Um, we, we did, in fact, all watch the first Bleach movie, Memories of Nobody, uh, which may sound like a Kingdom Hearts title to you, and let me tell you, it is exactly a Kingdom Hearts movie, just in Bleach form. Let's go ahead and introduce the podcast and our lovely guest. Uh, this is It'll Wash Out, a Bleach Rewatch podcast. I'm your co-host, Senna. And I'm your co-host, Sam. And we have a guest. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you wanted me to jump right into that, or... I'm Quinn Welsh Wilson. We, uh... So, th- this this whole guest affair happened, uh... Kind of... It kind of fell into... I, I don't know if I want to say it fell into my lap, or if it fell into your lap. It, it <laughs> was kind of a bit of both, I think. Because it, it was just like... I, I saw you make a post on Twitter about the game Pathfinder Kingmaker... And this, 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 this is a game that a very good friend of mine likes a good deal. Uh, so when I saw you posting saying it was one of the worst games you've played this year, I was like, huh, that's really hmm. interesting. I need to clarify. I need to clarify. I think that it is one of the worst games I have ever played in my life. And I did play it for 308 hours. That's dedication. I had to know. I had to see how far it could go. 
I mean, I, I can't say I blame you because when sometimes you dedicate yourself to something and it just goes way further than you could have ever imagined, uh, which is kind of what happened with this podcast. Because, mm. Quinn, I, I don't know. Did I ever tell you how this podcast started? Uh, Not properly, no. Oh, okay. So the this show started... Uh, I was in the Friends at the Table fan server, um, and this was back when it had, like, a lot more channels, and, you know, they, they did, like, some, uh, they, they cut down on the channels, like, uh, sometime last year, I think. Um, but back when it w- had an anime channel specifically, uh, I jokingly posted in there saying, what if I started a Bleach rewatch podcast? Uh, would anybody want to do that with me? And lo and behold, Sam fucking showed up, as did our other former podcast uh, host, Lynn. Uh, and we recorded three hours later that day, and we have oh, kept wow. going ever since. You know, invite me on your podcast. Do it. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> and then it happened. <laughs> And now I'm here. <laughs> a whole year and a half later, uh, we're we're still going. We're still making this show. Um, we just kind of committed to the bit, and you know, it it's been for better and for worse at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think we're like a third ish through the show. Yeah, so- somewhere around there. We're 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 over a third through the show. Yes. Uh, until the new anime comes out. But yeah, no, I, I, I saw you make that post about Kingmaker, and I was like, huh, well, my my friend really likes this game, so I'm curious. Like, it was a genuine, like, curiosity, and I just, like, replied to the tweet, and I'm like, yeah, what what didn't you like about it? And you're like, buddy, I have this whole series of tweets, because I basically <laughs> tweeted about that game for a month. I did. I was tweeted about almost nothing but Kingmaker for a whole month of my life. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's fair. I'm going to, I I searched it up. I read through these tweets. I was like, you know, these are a lot of really fair and valid criticisms. So uh, uh, naturally, I followed you. Uh, and lo and behold, not three days later, I saw you post a picture of Shinji from Bleach. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> And I just messaged you. I'm like, hey, do you want a guest on the show? And there it goes. And that's how this happened. Which is very funny because turns out there's a way more direct route that this could have happened by. Oh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, seeing as how Sam and I uh, are both multiple time guests <laughs> on MetaWatch and are both <laughs> in their server... Talking with the guys relatively frequently, like talking with the hosts. Yeah, it was like the in- the invitation happened, and then like what, like a week and a half later, both of us were like, "Wait, hold on." <laughs> yes, <laughs> wait <a> exactly. <laughs> it's honestly incredible, and I I couldn't have asked for a better first guest. I think, like, I think this is perfect. I this is an incredible energy to go into a show with, and God. 
Should we just go ahead and jump into the movie? What, what What's the structure here going to look like? Because we, we kind of barely scratched the surface of what the... Like, Sam and I talked about it, and we were kind of like, well, if we just have a loose summary of scenes of the movie, we can probably move through it, like, a bit faster than if we were to really write a detailed summary of the movie and go from there. It, what, what's the structure going to look like, Sam? Well, spoiler warning, it's not nearly as loose as I was hoping to make it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> part of my summary may also include commentary upon that very fact. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. What? Things not going according to plan? This is unheard of in Bleachcast. Hold on, let me grab a, a word count. Because now I'm curious. Oh god. If it's above 1800 words, you're fired. I can't fire you. I have no power in this podcast of my own creation. It is 2550. Wow, yeah. Um, is there uh, commentary you put in there maybe, I don't know, halfway, two-thirds through where you say this is where the whole thing turns into sludge? <laughs> I mean, I do have a bit that's like, well, here's the fighting starts. Like, you know, th- like th- that's the thing. There's there's yeah. certain there are certain parts where it's mostly like, okay, well, they're fighting here. It's fine. Like, yeah. Whatever. In in the words of the Great Gundam Project, the battle rages. Yeah. The and battle the, does indeed rage. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty early on that I'm like, I realize, oh wait, I'm taking like notes that are way more detailed than I actually need to. <laughs> um, but then you know, I go I go a little bit back and forth. You know, I figure we I can go through my notes and y'all can cut in whenever whenever there's stuff that you want to say about the stuff. Because also, I think there's there's a lot of scenes that are just like, well, I could discuss this here, or I could just wait till the end and actually talk about the stuff, right? Like, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So w- what I'm getting from this, what you're telling me is we discussed doing a podcast in structure. Uh, similar to our podcast, but different. And we're what we're going to end up doing instead is doing a podcast that is exactly the same in structure to our normal podcast, just oh, no. with a guest. It's different because you don't have a summary this time. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I, I, I do want to state how actually grateful I am for you doing the summary this week because having COVID, that would have been hell. So, should we go ahead and jump right into it, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I'll just get in. And, you know, if I'm spending too much time on a, on a scene, y'all can just tell me to get moving. It's fine. I'll skip to the next uh, to the next paragraph. Alright, sounds good. We're going into Bleach, the movie, what, number one, Memories of Nobody, which we start with the 12th Division monitoring a mission of the Stealth Force to approach a strange dimensional area. And then everything goes wrong and they lose contact with them. I love it mostly because this scene reminds us that Soul Society has an entire system of, like, wood panelings that move on their own to tell them shit. <laughs> this mm-hmm. this movie, in general, is a lot more interested than the show has been in showing us the technology of Soul Society, and I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just love seeing all the wood panelings move to, like, from active to lost connection. <laughs> just like, oh, that person's dead, dead. Yeah, I watched this movie with a friend. Uh, and that friend has seen two episodes of Bleach. 
And those episodes were the uh, Uryu versus uh, Mayuri fight from the Soul Society arc. Ah, so bad stuff. So they were watching this with me because they were like, okay, sure. Like, you have to watch this. Let's watch this together. And their first commentary, I think, on the entire movie is, wait, they got NASA? (laughs) (laughs) They do, in fact, have soul NASA. I can't I can't imagine where like you've got the you've got a pair of of episodes which is just like well you're obviously in feudal Japan with like a mystical bowman and then a guy who's talking about technology but all he's pulling out is like wacky magic poisons <laughs> and then turns out he's got NASA. Yeah, it turns out it's NASA. Um but I do like this a lot and from a production standpoint right like the technical elements that are going into the production animation and that sort of stuff you can tell immediately that they had more of a budget that they're working with here uh the first and last 20 minutes of this movie look incredible yes exactly there, there's definitely parts in the middle where it sort of slogs and you get people with sideways faces and whatnot. You know, the Piero special. But goodness gracious, do they lead off making this look good. Yeah, I was like, oh, right. This movie was made at the height of Bleach's popularity. Mm-hmm. I was also astonished to see it in 16 by 9 uh, because yeah. I'm so used to, to the 4 by 3 ratio of the <laughs> anime. And I was just like, oh, right, I'm watching a movie. I can see Ichigo in high def. Finally. Turns out he's wearing some absolute dog shit pants this time. (laughs) I like those pants. I would wear those pants. I think I used to own a pair of pants that were pretty much that pair of pants, which is why I'm making fun of them. They look like they have enough uh, pockets to suit my needs. Mm. How many pockets do you need? More than any pair of pants I own have. <laughs> That's unfortunate. I only, I no longer have any pair of pants with like thigh or calf pockets. I only have pairs of pants that have like, you know, two regular old pockets, and it's not enough. I have a, f- I have a feeling that this episode is going to be a little more tangent heavy than our normal show is. That is already m- s- slightly tangent heavy. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. We're 20 minutes in, and I've said maybe two sentences of my summary. (laughs) Continue. So after that introduction scene, we cut to a more, like, typical anime movie intro where you've got a hollow hunting around a crowded festival. Ichigo and Rukia, like, jump into their soul reaper forms. We've got number one, like, blaring in the background the whole time, reminding us that it's a cool as hell song. Uh, they slay the hollow, rescue the little girl it was chasing, and then send her off to Soul Society in a, like, really, really pretty sweeping shot upwards towards the sky that turns into the title in a way that makes me 100% certain, if nothing else in this movie did, this would make me think about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, this opening scene I actually have some some thoughts on. I guess the first one, which I touched on a moment ago, is Ichigo's fashion in this one is a lot. Uh, Isn't it always? But, like, he's got a popped collar on a white shirt with, I think, some blue detailing on it. 
Yeah, it's got like a little blue cross that matches the uh, like cross motif on his um, on his bedspread. Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the inside of the collar that is popped on this—it's a polo shirt—is um, like red. It's like crimson. Uh, and then he's wearing these green uh, cargo pants. And they're like, they're even like extra cargo-y. They're cargo pants yeah. with extra cargo. Mm-hmm. They, you know, sometimes you just need cargo pants with a little bit extra. And I can't blame my boy Ichigo for that. The second thought I had is I was surprised that released Zangetsu was capable of doing the Konso. Yeah, actually, that that oh, that was also like a huh. I mean, it, I suppose it makes sense that he can he can do the thing, and that's just like he doesn't have a non-released form. But it is a, it is weird seeing him do the console ritual with the release on Getsu. Yeah, it definitely struck me as strange. It's just such a big sword, right? And like the first time you see the console, like usually you see it. They hold up their hilt, and like there's the seal on the end of the hilt. But here it's just him with like raw butcher knife, giving him a pop. I I really want the alternate universe version of this, where Ichigo d- tries to do this, and the kid just goes, "Ow, what the hell?" Because <laughs> it's just like a fucking big metal hilt <laughs> smacking him in the face. Rookie is right there, you dickhead. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> After this happens, Rukia high-fives herself back into her gigai and tells Ichigo that he should like use Khan instead of leaving his body on the ground like he does all the time. And this is where I realize that my efforts to keep the summary short will be sorely tested because I have to take a moment to compliment how smooth the animation of her like elbowing him in the fucking ribs is. It's just this really good, gorgeous shot. The whole, like, sequence of her, like, getting back into her guy and then elbowing him in the ribs is, like, really, really good. Mm-hmm. It is, unfortunately, immediately followed by a solid minute of Rukia looking directly at the viewer instead of Ichigo, who's, like, two feet to her left. So, who can say? <laughs> it's so funny. It's really unnerving. <laughs> it, it's incredible. I love it. <laughs> She is immediately proven right because they run back to his body and there's like a bunch of paramedics around <laughs> and they have to pull out like the men in black memory replacement explosion that they use because all the paramedics are like, oh my god, this kid, this kid is dead. He, he's come back to life. Okay, sir, we still need to bring you to the hospital. You were dead for like 10 minutes. <laughs> it, it's so funny watching him try to get up like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really, Trust me, I'm fine. I'm like, no, we have to get you to a hospital. You're not fine. You are dead. Uh, it's just both this this scene, this exact scene basically happens like twice in the movie and both times it got a chuckle out of me. It's nice because it is one of those things that they don't really touch on that much really in the series. Like Cone exists to do this thing, but he never does. He just runs around being a freaky doll that is a nasty little man. So it's very funny that they call attention to like, don't we have a guy for this? <laughs> and it's really a shame because Kone in Ichigo's body tends to be less of a pervert gremlin man than Kone yeah. in the doll. Uh, so I'm like, 
you know what? You should use Khan more, if only so that you can put him in the body and then feel bad about making Ichigo's like likeness look perverted, so they do it less. Mm-hmm. Alas. Alas. Things that, well, I guess Khan basically gets written out of the story like all the time, so I can't complain too much. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, they feel so Ruki and Ichigo both like start feeling a. They start seeing a bunch of hollow readings, and then they also start feeling like, huh, that's not. That doesn't feel like a hollow. It's something, but it's weird. So they rush over to find like a bunch of big fluffy white ghosts with red heads that are just kind of like wandering around and curiously poking their heads adorably at things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if either of you felt like this association got locked in. But every time I looked at them, they just kind of looked like they were on chicken mode. Like, just a bunch of chicken ghosts. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> that... I, I was thinking of them as lemmings, so I assume that's just a very similar idea. I don't I don't think I really associated them with anything. It was a design that, at first, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then, as they got used more throughout the movie, I cared about less and less each time they came up. Yeah. I absolutely feel you there. Ichigo tries to perform the console ritual, and it just, like, bonks it on the head and nudges it back. <laughs> then it just keeps walking. <laughs> and we're like, oh, poor guy. <laughs> Apologize, Ichigo. <laughs> Although, pretty soon, the creatures all turn, like, a darker shade of red. They grow arms and start grabbing at things. But they still seem to be more of, like, kind of an, a mild irritant or a nuisance than an actual danger. Even as they start to overwhelm Ichigo, Rukia, and Khan. And that's when a column of spiraling wind shows up with a girl in a Shinigami uniform spinning and fluidly going through ghost dude after ghost dude. Like, it's it's just like a really good set of animations of her just, like, slicing through everyone. And we also see Khan catching a glimpse of a fancily dressed armored, armored guy. But, you know, that'll be important later in the plot. <laughs> it, quote, important. Uh... I fucking love this scene. I think this scene is great. I love this character that gets introduced, and I I think watching her in action is really, really fun. Yeah, they make her look real cool. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this is some of that fluid movie animation we're getting here. The way, the way Quinn said that makes me think that they're going to have some very different opinions of, of this character than I am. <laughs> Lucille Bluth voice. I don't care for Senna. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. The mysterious girl unleashes her Zenbakuto, so it takes the form of a Kakara, like the you know the pewter staffs that you often see in the with uh, priests with Buddhist priests like purifying the land and such in a lot of anime and manga. Mm -hmm. So she sweeps all the spirits away with a tornado full of lightning. Then I remember, God damn it, I'm supposed to take less notes for this movie, not more. <laughs> <laughs> and Ichigo and Rukia realizes that the girl is completely gone until she just like shows up and doing a victory dance right next to him <laughs> it's it's incredibly funny i i love her just showing up and not giving a shit about any of it <laughs> she introduces herself as senna and we get another dead ichigo gag which honestly just makes me laugh every single time it was so good and then the camera pans up to Soul Society. Like, it just pans up, and then the sky turns into the sky at Soul Society, and then it pans to Soul Society directly. And we see the most important character in, who does absolutely nothing in this fucking movie. Our boy Yakaku. <laughs> He's just doing his usual day drinking and fighting with Tetsuzaimon, and suddenly they just see, like, 
a big, weird spreading circle in the sky that seems to be showing them the human world. Dun dun dun. I was so worried when they were, like, preparing to square off over this sake that, uh, when Ikaku did the whole, what's that behind you thing, I was so worried they were gonna go the route of, I'm not falling for that trick, and, like, do that whole bit, and I'm so grateful that they didn't, and they were just like, oh, is there something behind me? And just, yes, there is. There is something very strange happening behind you, Tetsuzaimon. Thank you for being, like, cooperative here. Back on Earth, the Shinigami interrogate Senna, but she basically answers every single question with, I don't know, I don't remember, or because I felt like it. So Rukia says, well, we're not going to get any fucking answers from this girl, so I'm just going to head off to Soul Society. Senna says it's shut the fuck up Friday. (laughs) Don't talk to the cops. (laughs) The Shinigami are cops. It's it's at this point that I feel I should clarify that this character, like this Bleach movie character's name is Senna, not Senna, because I I worry with how fast we've said it, there might be some confusion that I am somehow in this movie, and that is not the case. Yes, S-E-N-N-A. In the dub, they will try to hit the double N in some weird ways. That is not accurate to the Japanese pronunciation or the expected English one. (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch the dub? I did, yeah. Ah, good times, good times. I didn't watch the dub this time, but I could have. I could have. I was like, well, time to watch this movie. Oh, it's streaming on on YouTube? Sure. Take my three bucks, Google. Let's watch this English only. Fuck you. Time for time to <laughs> Yahoo anime this shit. <laughs> Just immediately, like, I, I watched like 30 seconds and I was like, off I go to the dark web. The dark web of Yahoo anime. <laughs> the darker web. It's, uh, I have such mixed feelings on the dub of Bleach. A couple characters are good and some of them are not. There's like... From from the episodes of Bleach I've watched dubbed, uh, there's, like, a good chunk of the cast who you can tell really loves what they do and, like, enjoy playing as these characters. And then there's, like, an equal half that just doesn't fucking give a shit. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just they're just showing up and saying whatever to get a paycheck. And, like, that's, that's valid, but it's not great. I like Johnny Young Bosch a fair bit. Uh, I tend to like his performances. Um, unfortunately, the devil himself portrays Ikaku Madorame. Yep. <laughs> uh, for for those not aware, Vic Mignogna does in fact portray Ikaku. Yep. The next thing that happens in the movie, Senna leads Ichigo on a merry game of tag. But there is there is a moment here where I was certain that there was going to be, like, a, a reveal where they say, like, where, like, Ichigo notices that time has stopped for everyone else or something, because there's a solid four minutes of this sequence where there's dozens and dozens and dozens of background characters and none of them move at all, including when you see Senna and Ichigo sitting down to, like, eat at a restaurant, and you just see, like, people on the table next to them staring and, like, frozen in time completely for, like, the two-minute conversation that they have. <laughs> it's really weird. Mm-hmm. M- maybe this speaks to 
how little I pay attention or at least pay like critical attention when I'm not the one taking notes, because I'm going to be honest and say, I did not notice. (laughs) (laughs) And then Hitsukai and Rangiku show up and it's like, oh, right. You're still here. Like this movie is dubiously canon, but also doesn't fit anywhere in the bleach timeline. Like you can't properly fit it between such and such episodes and make things go. It's like some of the. It's how, like how some of the Dragon Ball movies where certain characters have abilities or are aware of stuff that they're only they learn at later episodes, but other characters don't have stuff that they knew during those episodes. It's it's one of those things. Yeah, and having read the Thousand Year Blood War arc recently, literally in the lead up to the climax of all of Bleach, at the end of one chapter, six hundred and twenty-seven. They say, hey, guess what? We just did a big lore dump. And you might have seen a lot of words, and maybe you don't recognize those words or know what those (laughs) words mean. We get it. We totally understand. If you want to know about one of those words specifically, and we're going to talk about any of the other words that we just let out. If you want to know about that one word, refer back to Bleach Movie 1. That's where you can know what that is. Little, little little do they say that Bleach Movie 1, in fact, does the exact same shit with lore dumping basically everything at you within a five-minute span and expects you to remember that throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. They do have some great lore terms like Valley of Screams, though. Yes. Oh, 100%. Valley of Screams is such a good word. <laughs> yeah, like, the Valley of Screams bit is the thing that comes back. Like, in that chapter, there's, like... They mention it, and Ichigo's like, oh yeah, I know that thing. <laughs> right. You're just like, you're just like I- when? <laughs> we made a little valley of screams. What? <laughs> okay. Like, okay. And Ichigo's just like, yeah, it's a valley of screams, you know, like that thing that we saw once. And then it's just like... But- I can't remember why I was there, but... <laughs> It's okay, there's a canon explanation in the movie as to why no one remembers when they went to the mm-hmm. Valley of Screams. Absolutely. Um, oh, brain. I, I was going to say a thing. What the fuck was I going to say? I lost it. Just get, move, move on. Move on. Well, Hitsukai and Rangiku show up to drag Ichigo to Urahara's place so they can talk about the plot. Uh, basically, you've got the spirit world, you've got the living world, there's a void in between... And recently, there's a new dimension that appeared in between the two voids. And it grew so big that it's actually touching both of the worlds. And because it's touching both at the same time, it's acting as a bridge and, like, making weird shit happens. In addition, in a weird decision that I'm like, why didn't you explain this part first? Uh, Sometimes, souls fall out of the cycle of reincarnation between the two worlds. And when enough of those souls get together, they become... The Valley of Screams. (laughs) Right. So, in terms of, like, the lore, like, technically, yes, I understand this to be true. But when they went through the Dongai Precipice world, they're like, we clean this routinely. Like, we clean it every week. We scrape this thing clean to make sure that there's nothing stuck here. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I guess it can't get souls which doesn't make sense because that's like all that should be going through here, right? Is other souls? Yeah, and it's like everything inside of it is turned into souls. Um, 
And there's an entire enemy faction in this movie who say that they were hiding in the crevices of stuff. Right, we just avoided the street sweeper. Um... Yeah, you could. I suppose you could make an argument to say that the street sweeper only cleans like in between, like the actual paths directly between Soul Society and uh, the Living World. Right. So if you get like a cystic growth in the precipice when the souls start accumulating, but I then wonder how they get. Like, there's a lot of questions that I have, and I know that Bleach doesn't care, and I don't think that it matters that much. Like. My issues with this movie that I have are, like, way more concerned with, um, like, theme and politics and structure than this. But I did notice that, like, if you want to give it a Cinema Sins ding for what are you talking about, you can do that. Yeah, I'm just really annoyed that they were like, there's a, there's a dimension that showed up and it's fucking weird. And then they immediately say... Okay, so by the way, the Valley of Screams thing, this is just a thing that happens, and that's totally normal. The thing that's weird mm-hmm. is that it's really, really big, and that means it's probably someone's fault. <laughs> yes. My my favorite thing going on in this entire thing is they just do the Rukia's bad drawings bit, but this time with Tessai instead. Yeah, I know! Rukia's not there to have the bad drawings. It, 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 it's like... I, I like it. I like seeing Tessai hold up this fucking thing as Urahara's talking, but I miss Rukia doing it, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did also remember what I was going to say earlier, which was I, I I kind of vaguely have a place for where this movie goes canonically. Um and when I say vaguely, it's I, I it's more like I absolutely expect something to contradict this. But it's it's sometime after Rukia comes back to the human world, uh, after the after the bounty arc, because she has her Zanpakuto in this movie, uh, it's after that, but before Ichigo starts his visor training, uh, I I I personally think it's before they even really encounter the Aronkar, but that's a really weird thing to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, so it's like, that technically makes sense, it's just that it also assumes that Ichigo does not see, um, or assume that Rukia has her sword, or is able to yeah. use her powers. Like, that's the that's the main thing that makes this weird, is how the timeline of Bleach, like, going from Arankar to Vizard is, like, so incredibly tight. But also, you have Rukia using her sword in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. It's very strange. It You know, I'd rather she uses it than, like... Not, like, all the humans, but we'll get into that. Classic story of the humans and Bleach. <laughs> it really is. Um, the only other, like, plot imp- plot importance uh, detail in this uh, scene is that they talk about the fact that the souls that become the Valley of Screams, all of their memories get split up, and all of the souls are called Blanks. And those are the things we saw earlier in the movie. And those kind of merge together, become the Valley of Screams. And all of the memories from every single blank merge together into the Shinanchu. The Shinanchu. Yeah. And that thing goes to the human world for reasons which are never adequately explained. Nope. And it's very funny that nobody immediately puts two and two together. Well, the, the, the thing is, to to be fair here... 
the the lore dump here is incredibly dense in a way where it's really hard to figure out what exactly you're supposed to be paying attention to in the lore dump. Um, just because it, he's saying a lot of terms, and this is around the time my brain shut off, where I'm like, okay, you're saying a lot of terms here, buddy, and I'm not really following, so I'm just going to nod and pretend I know what's going on. I guess that's fair, but like Ichigo's a pretty good student. And oh, 100%. They, they do end with uh, Urahara and Tessai basically saying, and this process ends with the creation of what we call in the scientific community a sort of memory freak. So <laughs> if you've seen one of those, you should probably think about it. And Ichigo's just like, I've not seen a memory freak recently. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Total, by the way, totally unrelated. Can a soul reaper remember? <laughs> Listen, they Ichigo is just being a good friend. He knows it's shut the fuck up Fridays and that he's talking to cops. Even ex-cops are still cops when they're working with the cops. Yeah. You know, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Urahara's really just sort of become a community liaison. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird to see, like... In the show, basically none of the Soul Reapers, like, pay attention to him, except for Rukia, and later Renji, only because he has a connection to Rukia. Like, mm-hmm. so far, everyone else completely ignores him or isn't aware of his existence, as far as Soul Society is concerned. Um, <laughs> and then in this movie, you just have, like, all the captains sitting down at- <laughs> Or, like, you have Hitsugaya and Rakiku just, like, sitting down in his shop being like, yeah, what up? It's very weird. It's incredibly strange. So after this, Ichigo goes to find Senna, and she's just happy to resume their game of tag. Uh, she does start tightrope walking across a string of lights, and the whole crowd of like just this really bustling area just starts staring. And I have to point out the fucking idiots who are like, Hey, that girl's tightrope walk is tightrope. Why do I have such a hard time saying that combination of words? <laughs> They they see her starting to walk on those on that like string of lights, and they're like, "Let's point this goddamn spotlight directly upwards at her face." I'm sorry, Sam. Do you mean she was tightrope walking? Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, the spotlight doesn't seem to bother her at all, but she does fall for unrelated reasons. You know, just because she's walking on a string and it's hard to do. She's she's like walking across this, and she goes, "Wow, this is nice," and they just. <laughs> Oh, how nice. Oops. It's here that I, like, really start to feel some of my tension with Senna as a character in terms of just... I've seen this character done a lot. She's one of these characters. She's very close to just being, like, full-on manic pixie dream girl. Oh, Um, fair. Except that Ichigo um, doesn't want to, like, stupper. So, it's just like, okay, yeah, you're doing that. You're running around and laughing and being like, ha ha ha, I live my life free of, um, like, the constraints that hold you down, which means that I do things like stand on tables and walk on uh, tight ropes with lights on them. It really makes you think about yourself. Ha ha. And I'm like, okay. I get it. I, I, I think a lot of where my, like... Personal, personally not minding Senna uh, 
as well as kind of enjoying her presence, just comes from the fact that I just like seeing this character do a bunch of really wacky shit. You know, it it, it really does just come down to the fact that it's like, I, I like seeing her not be cooperative at all, and then just like, go fuck off and stand on a table, or like... Be like, yeah, no, I accidentally stole this ribbon because I just fucking forgot I took it. I'm 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 into that. Uh but I, I do absolutely get what you're saying, and that we've absolutely seen this character before. There's so many of this character, and that that's a totally valid criticism. It's just I wanted to share my two cents of why I like her. <laughs> no, and like that's totally fair. Like I think it's totally fine to enjoy Senna as a character. Um and like I'm glad that you did, honestly. <laughs> it's it's about all I got out of this movie, frankly. <laughs> yeah, uh this movie we'll get you know we'll get into like we'll get there. more commentary about the whole thing later, but Yeah. Memories of nobody, huh? It's a movie. <laughs> yeah, so Ichigo like explains the situation to Senna. Turns out she doesn't know anything about it. Uh, but, you know, she says, hey, bring me on the Ferris wheel. I can, I like high places, so bring me on the Ferris wheel and I'll help you out. And that's when he realizes that her ribbon is different than the aforementioned th- fact that she shoplifted this one. <laughs> so he grabs her and he's like, no, we have to go back to the store and pay for your ribbon. And no, I don't have the cash to pay for a Ferris wheel wide. I'm using my cash to pay for this ribbon. This ribbon that you stole and I'm going to be a very good boy and go pay for Senna ends up looking at the river and she remembers her dad and her different dad and then her other different dad. And Ichigo notices that, like, this really crowded area that they were just, like, completely dispersed. There's no one around him. Uh, Senna just goes to the cemetery where she's remembered a dad, but a completely different dad than the previous dad. But now she's remembering the exact same funeral that she was thinking of one of the dads. But now she's thinking of her own funeral. And suddenly a couple of blanks and a dude in armor and some, and like some weird special forces outfit. <laughs> I don't know. He's got like the little beret. He does. Yeah. I do. I do really like these characters outfits. I do also really wish that it wasn't yet another, like the, the main one that fights in this scene. I really wish it wasn't just another really big, angry black dude, because while there sure are a lot of really big, angry black dudes in Bleach... Yeah, no, it fucking sucks. It blows. Yeah, like, in t- if you take the proportion of characters of color in Bleach, and then you you check, okay, well, th- here's all the characters of color, and then you make the list, and then you look at which of these are really big, angry black dudes, uh, that list is almost a flat circle, but it's like a flat circle plus Tosin. Yeah. And Yoroichi, I suppose. Well, Chad's a person of color, and... He's not black. He's Mexican. He is a big, sort of angry guy, though. That's that's what I'm saying. And yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can talk about series and spoilers here, but reading the Thousand Year Blood War arc, I have some thoughts about Chad. They were very frustrating. But yes, you can cut that if you want. <laughs> No, you you can you can say that. That's fine. Like it, it's just more specifics. We probably don't want to get into. Absolutely, I'm gonna have a lot of thoughts when we get to uh, the thousand year blood work. Yeah, no. Qu- Quinn and I were talking yesterday, and and I was just like, yeah, I feel like 
the thousand year blood war arc is going to be a lot of things for this show. <laughs> and good is not most of them. We're 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 going to have some thoughts, Sam. Dear listeners who have not watched who have not read the end of Bleach, spoiler, it's called the thousand year blood war arc and that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's really not a good thing. Uh but if we get back to this movie, uh you know, Senna unfortunately just gets like immediately jobbed. Uh but Ichigo mm-hmm. shows up and slices the dude's like, arm off. Uh the dude, Jai, I think he's the only person of this group whose name we get, other than their boss. I think that's accurate, yeah. So Jai and the rest of his group just all disappear. Ichigo brings Senna home. Karen is doing her usual who gives a shit if Ichigo brings a girl home. He's like a late teen. But Yuzu and Ishin obviously are Interested in going on a spying mission. Senna says, hey, it's nice that you have a good family. And then she freezes up because she's remembering another dad different from the previous dads and like fighting with that guy. And then yeah. she just falls asleep. And that really makes me think about how this movie seems to understand the importance of memories as being primarily dad based things. <laughs> Your memory is a series of encounters with dads. It is just a series of dads. It's like a geometric progression of dads. It's incredibly strange because at this point in the movie, all of Senna's characteristics are just portrayed by a series of memories of dads. And it's at this point I wondered, why is this movie called Memories of Nobody? But I guess it's just that Memories of Dads wouldn't have sold as well. Yeah. Bleach, the movie one, Daddy Time Chronicles. <laughs> Hate this. Hate the, this. There, There is a through line that one could put here, I suppose, about, like, the manic pixie dream girl, like, archetype and their relation to specifically the authority of a dad. But I'm mm-hmm. just going to keep going in my notes. <laughs> yeah, we could we could spend a lot of time there. I think other people have wasted more bre- or, like, not waste, we might be wasting breath where other people have, like, put things together a little bit more solidly. 100%. Just pointing out, the track has been laid, that discussion can be had. But <laughs> draw, <we> <laughs> yeah, draw whatever conclusions you may. Yeah, so, Ichigo has a chat on the phone with Urahara, which is just to let us know that Ganryu is from an exiled family who probably, I guess, we think hates Soul Society, which... You know, would make sense, because they got exiled. <laughs> this is a point of frustration for me, right? When we want to talk about... I don't know if we want to, like, talk about, like, the political imaginary of this thing yet, or if we want to wait until the end. But that's, like, all the information we sort of get about them. They were exiled. We don't really know why or how or what. Like, we don't get enough context here. To understand them, aside from they've been exiled from the Soul Society, so they're mad. Like, we have more context about why the Bount get kicked out than we do about this guy. (laughs) To to be fair to the Bount, we get 50 fucking episodes to deal with the Bount, so of course that's a little more fleshed out. But We get more, let me rephrase, we get more reason as to why the Bount are kicked out in the first episode before they're called Bount than we do about this guy's motivations. (laughs) Right there, yeah, yeah. We we for a guy who takes up a third of the like movie poster, we get frighteningly little 
information about Gonryu. We we don't know fucking anything about him. He's a badass with a scar. Apparently. We don't even know how he got the scar. Did he? No, we, we know that he wasn't the one who was exiled. It was his grandparents or yes. whatever. Okay. How did he get the scar? <laughs> maybe they were angling for like, hey, if this movie is like really popular, maybe we can do a, a sub-series about a 12-episode show about Gonryu. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know who liked Gonryu enough to like really want that because this movie gave me fucking nothing on him. The next day, Ichigo and Sena go back to the train station to, because they have literally zero leads. Uh, but instead, they find a lost soul kid so they can walk like all the way across the fucking town to find his parents. Uh, <laughs> they go they go far in this quest. It looks like they're Ichigo, walking to a different entire... town. Yeah, it really does. I- Ichigo this entire time is like, there's no fucking way this dude's dad is like still around. There's no fucking way. And then his dad is in fact still around. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is a scene that I think in a more competently like written and put together movie could have been really either meaningful or at least like tonally resonant. Absolutely. Because it it creates this like odd thing where they wind up, uh, I think at temple grounds or like at a festival area. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, and they, like, slowly realize everyone that's there is spirits. Not just spirits. Most of them are blanks. Right. Uh, so they find, because they find the kid's dad, and the kid's dad explains that Senna, specifically, brought all of these spirits here to make a festival, which was visible to the dad. So the dad came here because he knew his kid would be looking for him at a festival. And then the two of them just, like, thank her, they bow, and then just magically pass on to the afterlife, no ritual needed. It's bizarre. (laughs) And then all of, most of the souls around them disappear, and the ones that are left turn into blanks. (laughs) And so I find myself very frustrated with what that could have been. You know? Like, that could have been, like, a really interesting scene in maybe a more low-key story. Mm. Um, But for me, at least, it rung very empty. Yeah, it was, it was really weird for the dad to just be like, thank you for creating this opportunity. And then the kid's like, yeah, you're the one who made this happen. And then they just fuck off to heaven. <laughs> I I think where this, like, runs short for me is not only do we, like, not really understand how these guys are passing on, but also, like, it's immediately after this scene that the plot just becomes every other bleach plot, uh, mm-hmm. like forever, <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, we're just watching Bleach the movie for real this time. Yeah, it's about to turn into sludge. Yeah, because at this point, various captains and vice captains of Soul Society show up to say, "Hey, no one called Senna exists on any of our like Shinigami like roll calls." That Zampakuto she's using, it was registered to someone who died in between the worlds 100 years ago, so there's no way that someone alive today should have it. So Sena is clearly the Shininju. Oh, and we've got, like, we've got Hitsugai and Rangiku, we've got Ukitake and Rukia, we've got Renji, we've got Soifon, and a bunch of nameless stealth force mooks. And obviously, being cops, who are the most cop 
cops to ever cop. They just, like, present all this information in the most threatening manner they can. Which, you know, gets Ichigo's hackles up. Because how has not a single one of these people thought, hey, what happened the last, like, four times we pr- we did this? <laughs> my My favorite part of all of this... Of this scene, or, or, or I guess I should say my favorite two parts are Rukia specifically being like, I read all the logs. There is nobody who exists in Soul Society named Sena. It's specifically Rukia that says she read every single log of every squad member. And I'm like, okay, Rukia, sure. And then the second thing is immediately after Ichigo being like, wait a second, you guys are cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very like I I understand the way that they're supposed to be coming from, where they're like, oh, this person is clearly connected to the plan that's like trying to destroy our worlds, so there's a there's a risk factor here, there's a threat, but it is a very like well they're cops, so they're they're not even going to try to communicate with the character. They're just going to go, mm-hmm, yeah. Ichigo, move the fuck away. This person's dangerous. We have to take them into custody. Um, as opposed to saying, hey, we think this person isn't who they think they are. You know, let's sit down. Let's talk this out because clearly this person has been helping you and you've been nothing but friendly towards us. No. Immediate threat. Immediate. Um, Cops all the way down. I was going to say something else. Oh. Uh, I I think it's also worth noting uh, at this point in the movie, uh, because we did already discuss kind of what, like, the bad guy's evil plan is or whatever, but it's it's a very interesting detail to me that Soul Society's response whenever there's a new bad guy in town is always to be like, oh, they're going to make the worlds collide. That's that's the one that's going to end everything. That's the one we have to assume this is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's always the dimensions colliding. <laughs> it really is, is the thing. It's exactly what they assumed the bounce were doing. And, like, it wasn't what the bounce were doing, but it's exactly what they assumed the bounce were doing. It's the explicitly stated threat of the Quincy's existing in the first arc of Bleach. They're like, we had to take care of them because they were going to upset the balance of souls so bad that the only thing that could happen is the worlds would crash into each other. So what did you want us to do? Not genocide? Yeah. God, that still fucking frustrates me. Yeah, yes. And I will point out, same di- like director of this movie, same guy who directed, who directed most of the series. Yeah, like, Noriyuki Abe. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Same guy, same ideas, and he's taking his... Well, he's taking his ideas directly from Kubo, clearly, but, you know. Same lack of imagination, yeah. rather. Because um, I think... I feel this idea is more explicitly pronounced during the Bound Arc and in this movie than it is throughout several parts of the manga. Mm-hmm. At least until the aforementioned Thousand Year Blood War arc, but... Yeah, they really go hard on that one there. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. Can't wait! But that one happened later, so I'm I'm willing to believe maybe Kubo took his inspiration from what the, sh- the TV show had been doing, mm-hmm. or you know they worked together for several years and have similar several uh, similar ideas because they're buddies. Right. Uh, uh, this confrontation between Ichigo and the cops is interrupted by Ganryu's group appearing and just attacking. And I want to point out there's like this really fun little moment where Ichigo's roll dodging with Senna in his arms to get out of the way and attack, and he while rolling. 
he's eating Khan's soul candy, so he gets up in Shinigami form, and Khan and Senna keep rolling away to safety. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And it's definitely a little neat, little neat shot there. Mm. Uh, everybody splits up and fights as a swarm of blanks join the fray, and this time when Senna transforms, we get an actual clear look that at the fact that like when she transforms, her Gigai body ter- it dissolves into a bunch of leaves, and I think that's a wonderful detail. It just mm-hmm. looks really fucking cool. The thing that sucks is that at no point past this in the movie does Senna really do anything useful. No, no. it's uh, show's over for Senna, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, Senna is going to stop being... Well, she's going to stop being a character until five minutes throughout, uh, before the end of the movie. Um, and arguably past then, too. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. So Senna transforms, she jumps up at the at the boss man, immediately gets knocked out and captured. Ukitake says, it's the banished clan. And Ganryu responds with, no, we are the clan of darkness. Also, surprise, the blanks can, self- can self-destruct. Fuck you, we killed like half of your forces. Um, <laughs> it is like a really weird like tone shift that happens. Like, um, Ichigo uses Bankai. Gets close to the boss, but he just, like, he gets hit with a sneaky spear attack. <laughs> he blacks out. God. It's such a weird sequence. It's such a bizarre sequence of events. It's incredibly strange. At this point, Orihime and the other humans finally enter the goddamn movie, healing up uh, Ichigo. Unfortunately, this is the end of anything of men- of worth mentioning that the humans do in this movie. They arrive. End of story. <laughs> They arrive, and then they stand on a bridge for the rest of the movie, and that's about it. <laughs> they really do stand on that bridge for a long time. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of... Well, it's like it's like an hour. I suppose it, it's, it, it's not too bad. It's not too much. It is It is literally half of the movie. <laughs> they it are standing on this It is literally half of the movie. But it is an hour in and out of the movie. <laughs> Fair. So we learned that the bad guys got away. Um, and that it looks like the actual goal of their plan is to literally smash the worlds together violently. Uh, and they figure that they can use whatever path that Senna used to get to the human world the first time to actually go into the Valley of Screams. Because on the Soul Society side, they can't go into the Valley of Screams for plot reasons. It's literally just, you can't go from the Soul Society side. You just can't. You're not allowed, yeah. <laughs> not allowed. While looking around, they eventually go on the Ferris wheel that Senna wanted to use, and they see the giant hole to soul society in the lake. <laughs> that is glowing brighter than, like, a Christmas tree on, on a New York plaza. Like, <laughs> it's a giant hole. It looks cool, though. It looks really sick. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. It just is really funny to me that they're like, man, where is this thing? <laughs> Could it be that thing over there? <laughs> I'm I'm a really big fan of whenever there's just some giant obvious thing uh, and the characters are just like, what the fuck? Where, where is it? What is going on? And, it, you know, it, it's at this point that I think back to the episodes we just covered in which there was an Arankar that was very obviously inhabiting a little girl and nobody could seem to see it, even though it was incredibly obvious. 
So maybe this is just a running thing for them. <laughs> Listen, the the Arankar can turn into human souls, and we can't detect it when it does that. Also, the Arankar did something to this girl, and now we can't use Konso on her. But I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> it's literally one sentence after the other. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways. In the Valley of Screams, which I mostly put into the recap just so I could say in the Valley of Screams. <laughs> Senna is bound to a large staff thing with a bunch of floating or whatever, it's a doomsday device. Uh, the bad guys are expositing about their family's banishment. And by expositing, I mean, they mentioned they survived by hiding and they learned how to use blanks as power. End of story. Uh, <laughs> Again, no description of how or like why they were banished all we know is that they're the clan of darkness um and they're evil yeah they're just like we hate soul society because soul society did this to us that was the beginning of history there was nothing else recorded before that don't worry about it it's fine did they kick us out because we're the clan of darkness i can't say who who knows yeah. they might have just seen that we were the clan of darkness and went, wow, that sounds really bad. Maybe we should kick them out. My granddad was wandering around with a scroll from uh, Genryusai that said, your vibes are horrible, get out. <laughs> they showed up to Genryusai being like, hey, do you mind if we start calling our family the Clan of Darkness? And he was like, you know what? I know where this is going. Get the fuck out of my city. <laughs> You're done, he says. <laughs> I never want to uh, see your frickin' faces here in Soul Society ever again. <laughs> I hope the frickin' Street Sweeper kills you. Because that's what he sounds like. If we ever do a fucking Bleach actual play episode on this podcast, I hope that's what Genryu's side sounds like. <laughs> uh, the bad guys also start, they like re-explain the Shinanju and it cuts to Mayuri doing the same. Uh, which I was completely thrown by this transition i was just like what the mm -hmm. fuck is Mayuri doing here <laughs> um but the gist of it of the thing that they're trying to say is the act of putting senna inside the valley of screams means that the souls that make up the valley of screams are going to try to merge back with her and since it's currently connecting to two worlds that like gradual shrinking of the valley is going to pull the two worlds into a collision together and like potentially destroy it unclear it's <laughs> it's like we don't actually under we, we know it's like it, it'll cause destruction but unclear <laughs> the the thing is at, at this point in the movie the movie is like wait shit we forgot to set up like proper stakes and that's at, at the, it was at this point in writing the movie that I think the team went back and retroactively added that scene with Urahara and Tessai <laughs> where they like kind of loosely described the stakes of the movie um because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> yeah, and at this point the Shinigami are like well we can't get to the valley of screams so Yamamoto says and could one of my dear co-hosts today tell us the order that he says I know that at least one of you will want to say the sentence. <laughs> he says, prepare the keto cannon. Mm-hmm. He sure does. <laughs> and it is the fucking best. I simply love to prepare the keto cannon. 
And again, this is this is one of those things that really gets me about Bleach because it's very cool, and like, it leads to some place that like, oh yeah, the Soul Reapers are cops. But then it it, it backs away. It backs away from the the ultimate conclusion. <laughs> yeah, because at this point he's like, hey, prepare the keto cannon. We're gonna destroy the entire fucking thing. And even the people next, like near him, are like, um, that's gonna cause like massive destruction to both worlds and then rukia runs into the room and is like hey um actually can we help ichigo instead can we can we do that can we help ichigo (laughs) so do you think that she like straight up overpowers these guards and pushes her way in or or do you think that both of them are aware that byakuya is on the other side of that door (laughs) and thinking about it as she pushes her way through I think it's because this is Bleach, and as we know, in Bleach, women have no real power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has to be Biakia, unfortunately. Yep. God. And it's like, cool, you you did something cool, Rukia. Like, you just barged in, said, fuck you, Yamamoto. I know you're telling me to leave, but I'm going to say my piece. Um, she doesn't really do much of this movie, honestly. <laughs> she doesn't do nearly yeah. enough. <laughs> She she bursts in here and is like, hey, can we actually focus our energy on saving Ichigo? And then Yamamoto says no, and that's that. Yeah, he's like, no, there's only an hour before the worlds are destroyed. We don't have time to go and beat the dudes and leave. And I'm like, but you only have 50 minutes until the end of the movie, not an hour. <laughs> it was at this point I was like, oh, wow, there sure are only 15 minutes left in this movie. But it's all good. Renji shows up and he tells Rukia that he's going to go with her to help Ichigo, who's like currently fighting the bad guys in the Valley of Screams, while all the rest of the humans are busy observing the giant glowing hole in the water. <laughs> they want to jump in to help, but Urahara tells them like, no, you're humans. You can't go into, you can't go do important stuff. Uh, we would need to like convert your spirits into, we, we need to con- convert your bodies into spirits like we do with, uh, like we did during the other arcs. All, like all three other TV arcs, but don't worry, it's cool. Hitsugai is here, and he's got a team, a crack team, a crack team of professionals. Because we see Ichigo holding on against like five dudes, and then surprise, Kempachi appears. <laughs> Kempachi appearing all of a sudden is one of the best parts of this movie, and then it immediately is slandered by him not really doing all that much. <laughs> Well, so, mm, yeah, the the way the fights shake out here is so weird in that they're pretty much nothing. Um, they're not fights. It feels like half of them were rewritten on the like afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the main reasons I say this is because I, so after we see Kimbachi, like the camera pans to the right, and we're like, okay, we've seen Kimbachi and Yachiru. We know. We have seen Rukia and Renji jump in, but on this cliffside, we see Yumichika and Nikaku from Squad 11, we see Hitsugai and Rangiku from Squad 10, we see Kiro, Tetsuzaimon, and Shohei from the list of vice captains who are kind of important because they have voice more voice lines than the rest, I guess. Um, but we don't actually see like Rukia and Renji in, in that like lineup, nor do we see Soifon, who also like shows up to have a fight. <laughs> The thing is, most of these fights, quote, un- end quote, is are like, 
10 to 15 second snippets of a character showing up, doing something vaguely badass, and then it just moving on because it does not care. Right, they're like, ah, well, that's it. Yeah, like, Soifan gets to be a ninja and has, like, a cool-looking fight before she just fucking dissolves her uh, her opponent, who had the misfortune of breasting Boobily in her direction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is cool that we get to see Soifan do a proper double tap. Yeah. Uh, like, finally. For sure. But that's about it. Like, it makes them feel absolutely not like threats whatsoever. It, it, it literally feels like they're fodder for the Soul Reapers to come in and be like, hey, you remember when this Soul Reaper did that cool thing in the show? Hey, they're doing it again. Right. Oh, they did the thing. Moving on. Which, in fairness, is often the purpose of an anime movie. Sure. But is like, especially egregious in this situation because, like, I like the fight that Kenpachi has where he's just, like, completely no-selling this dude with he- with hidden weapons and it's the funniest shit because he keeps pulling out more and more improbable weapons from various parts of like his outfit and every time Kimpachi's <laughs> just like taking another step forward then slicing off another part of his body yeah yeah but also this like this entire encounter the only thing that this changes is that Ichigo, who was previously fighting these guys five-on-one and apparently not having a problem even though he wasn't in Bankai, <laughs> gets to go fight the last boss. Right. And so, looking at this, like, literally, they probably could have sent... And this is, like, I think an excessive estimate of a team they could have sent to clear out this entire situation. They could have sent Byakuya and Kempachi, and it would have been fine. Yeah, honestly, they could have sent yeah. either of them alone. Yes. That's why I was like, I'm giving them a little bit more, like, leeway here. Let's let's give them two instead of just sending a guy. Yeah, and, like, the thing that gets me, um, and, like, I feel it's more obvious the more I think about it, is you in this team, in this setup, you basically have the team that was already on Earth, like, previously established as, like, during the uh, Arunkar arc. Right. You have... The couple of vice captains who are kind of popular, and then you have like the really popular Kempachi, Soifan, and later you get Biakuya. But when you see the team, the team shots, you don't see most of the characters in the team shot. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me really wonder if they like plan to have the team shot, like to have different people fighting, and then they were like, wait, no, hold on. We have to have. We have to bring in Kenpachi. He's really fucking popular. He needs to have a fight here. Well, because <laughs> they do genuinely show, like, way more people than get into fights, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like half a full, like, half of this entire team. The only thing that they do is they fight, like, faceless blanks. Right, because, like, Kira is there. Mostly off screen. And yeah, Kira sure is here. I like his Zanpakuto. It's one of my favorites, to be honest. Wabiske rules. Same. Um, and he gets to Wabiske is sick. He gets to use it in a cool way. He makes a whole cliff fall down, which is like hell yeah, bro. Um, but then um, I can never remember the guy's name, and I feel really bad for it. Um, uh, Yumichika and or Setsuzaimon and or Shuhei Hisagi. Probably yeah, Shuhei Hisagi, because I I always just call him Sixty Nine Face. Yeah. Yes, that's Shuhei. okay. Yeah. So yeah, like Shuhei's there, Tetsuzaimon's there. They're just like, they're just there. They're doing nothing, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, they, it, it it's so bizarre that five minutes previous to this in the movie, they're like, "Oh, we don't 
know that we're going to be able to take them down in an hour. And then ev- everybody goes anyway. <laughs> and then they take down right. these I mean, guys with, like, complete ease. So it's true that they don't know because they haven't tried. And it turns out when they tried, it was really easy. So maybe you didn't need to prepare the keto cannon. <laughs> oh, I did it, forget to it's... mention that the keto cannon itself is like a giant seven branch sword. And also they didn't. Yamamoto was like, we don't have time for this, but we do have time to set up a giant fucking throne chair for me to sit in next to the keto cannon yeah. outside. And they do, in fact, fire the Keto Cannon. So don't worry, that does get followed through on. Yeah, like, Rukia gets a nice moment here, I guess. Yeah, like, there's a... After we get, like, all the six six shots of the Shinigami fighting, uh, we we cut back to the Keto Cannon just to be like, we're gonna wait until the last possible moment, then we're gonna shoot and destroy the... Destroy the dimension. Uh, we do get an extremely sick shot of Ichigo riding Hihio Zabimaru. So he can go fight the last boss while Renji and Rukia take care of the two remaining members of the Goon Squad. Ichigo fights in his manga, his Bankai form against Ganryu's never-ending supply of white goo. He eventually gets stuck to a wall and the bad guy's like, We were exiled and that, like, really sucked. And I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh... L- listeners, you may notice at this point that we haven't talked about Senna in a while, um, and it's at this point that I-, I want to remind everybody that Senna is currently trapped in a horde of white goo, um, and thankfully it's not, like, super sexualized or anything, it just is very weird, mm-hmm. and I-, I do want to bring attention to that. <laughs> well, and, like, there's this thing that happens in these scenes where when they're like the clan of darkness is using their abilities they do have like streaming white goo with red streaks in it flowing into them yeah because they can they're absorbing all the blanks and it tur- like the blanks turn into goo and it's just like it's just re- they, they do spend time making that goo look real gooey mm-hmm. yeah that's where <laughs> the movie budget went to the goo department memory but each movie one memories of goo ichigo yells about how he made a promise on his soul and this like awakened senna who has an epiphany about the blanks and then both of them like start unleashing a bunch of power uh it cuts back to soul society where it's time to unleash the keto cannon which just it shoots out beams that turn into flaming wolves and then those tur- like merge together and turn into a giant phoenix and i'm like Okay, how many fucking phoenixes do you have trapped as power sources for weapons? It's so funny. Because if I had a nickel, it would, like, if I had a nickel, it would be twice, but it would still be weird, etc, etc, etc. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so glad that fire the keto cannon and prepare the keto cannon are both sentences that are spoken in this movie. <laughs> the Valley of Screams starts unraveling, and we get, we get, like, our end-of-fight victory screens for Ruki and Renji. Although in the case of Ruki's adversary, like, she shatters him, and then the, like, six weapons that he had flying around turn into clones of him, and he tries to attack again, but whoops, Byakuya is here, and sure, like, his monk guy is cool, and he's a fan favorite, but you could have given Rukia this win. Yep. Like, you could have had him fight anyone else. It literally doesn't change anything that he steps in, because he doesn't have another line for the rest of the movie. He doesn't do anything else for the rest of the movie. He's literally just there so that Rukia doesn't get a win. Yep. 
It really yeah. sucks. It really, really sucks. If you wanted Byakuya to come in and look cool, have him come in when Kenpachi does and have them both, like, blow away the crowd. Like, it's just, it sucks because this is exactly the same thing that happened with Rukia, like, three weeks ago or four weeks ago. She fights yep. D- she writes she fights D-Roy, gets a victory, and then immediately five minutes later, D-Roy, he's a fucking loser. Yeah. Nobody likes him. He's barely in his spot on. You're just like, just give her a single goddamn win. Like It's legally not allowed. Yeah, Kubo has this like list of rules. And I realize Kubo didn't write this movie. Uh, but Kubo has like this list of post-it notes on his wall. That is, like, rules of bleach, and the very top one is Rukia can never win, or if she does win, it has to be undercut in some way. If it if she wins, it has to be a tie, or actually it wasn't impressive because someone else won something bigger. And if, if she wins, you have to make sure she gets, like, stabbed in the stomach somewhere in there. Like, mm-hmm. just really make sure it's not, like, it doesn't feel like a win. So Ichigo has a final confrontation with Ganryu, which, you know, looks kind of cool. Um, he reaches Sena, everyone makes it back to the human world, the Shinigami all over the Seireite cheer for some reason, and Chad doesn't get a single line of dialogue, he just gets a grunt that suspiciously doesn't sound much like him, so I'm wondering if they even had his voice actor, like, on for this movie. <laughs> um, but all is not well! Sena looks at the hole, and in the funniest shot possible, we see Mayori go, like, Wait, why isn't the alarm turning off? (laughs) I just... There's something about him just standing in the middle of his, like, NASA HQ. And he's looking... He's looking at, like, all the flashing red lights and he's like, Hold on. Why aren't the alarms turning off? I thought we fixed it. I I hate to see Mayuri, but I hate... I love to see him confused like this. It looks like they waited too long to shoot the cannon after all, because the worlds managed to... Make gravity between each other. A tearful Senna says she's scared and she doesn't want Ichigo to die. Like, she explicitly says that she's sacrificing herself for his sake. Oh. Or, at the very least, she's sacrificing herself because she doesn't want Ichigo to die. And if the world dies, then Ichigo would die. So she's going to save the world. Well, it... So she... mm, It got... This really got me, right? Where she's like, Oh, the world without Ichigo would be such a sad place. Um, and so I have to save the world, and it's like, well, the world without Ichigo in this situation wouldn't be the world anymore. You got no problems there, my guy. Is that easy? <laughs> it, it just, it felt really the, this. She's trying to say a thing using like a really, really roundabout way of saying it, and it's just, it does not land. And in a way that doesn't feel like it, they have the emotional cash to like put into this like they're they don't it it, the weight isn't there for me i'm so i'm just sitting here i'm like cool like the the back bit of this movie like honestly the back half of this movie i'm just kind of like all right cool i i think part of where it fails is this reads to me personally as if they were trying to go with like the romance subplot of, like, Senna, like, being in love with Ichigo or whatever and sacrificing herself to save him because she loves him or whatever. But the thing is, they just don't build up to that at all. And it doesn't pay off in that way. Uh, there's no, 
romantic tension between them except that one time where Ichigo is like, uh, you know, going to pay for the ribbon that she stole and the cashier like calls her his girlfriend or whatever. Um, so it's like, I can see a universe in which they tried to build it up to that and like maybe it kind of works, but not really. But even then, even if it was just like the, oh, they're friends thing, we've only known this character for an hour and a half and she hasn't been in half the movie, basically. So it's like, it just doesn't land because we don't really know or care about this character enough to give a shit. Yeah, yep. at this point, uh, she just, she uses the power of the memories to detonate all of the blanks inside the uh, Valley of Screams. And it push it like successfully pushes the two worlds apart. Uh, we tell we hear her tell Ichigo that she has a final favor to ask, and then we see a very sad Ichigo like just carrying her on his like piggyback throughout a very quiet like morning, just all across the town, all the way to the cemetery. And she says she wants to see the family grave to prove that she exists in this world. And asks him to read the names on the grave since at this point she's she's fading and she can't see. He sees that the names like obviously aren't hers and tells her, yeah, no, it's right there. Like you lived in this town. You were a real person who lived here. Uh, she asks if they'll meet again as she starts fading away. And a sad Ichigo says, sure, of course we will. Like, why wouldn't we? And then after she's gone, he falls to his knees after she disappears. And like, honestly, this part, I love this part. I thought this... I didn't think any part of the, like, the speech that she gives hits, but I think this part, mostly due to, like, how well they animate Ichigo's, like, facial expressions and his eyes through throughout these moments, um, I think this part really hit for me. That's fair. I, I think a lot of, like, I, I don't dislike this part, to be clear. It's just, I get to this part in the movie and I go, this is just Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, but I like Kingdom Hearts. I also like Kingdom Hearts. It's it's just I can only see that story so many times, and when Kingdom Hearts has already done it and arguably done it better, uh, it, it just didn't land as much for me personally. That's sort of my problem. Is like, yeah, they're going Kingdom Hearts on it. I like Kingdom Hearts a lot. People, you know, people will talk shit about Kingdom Hearts. I like Kingdom Hearts though, and for me, because of everything. I feel like at this point I was just, like, kind of so exhausted. And then, like, I honestly wasn't sure because of the nature of um, the Shinenju as being, like, this amalgamated thing of memories. I couldn't tell for a minute until, like, I think they, like, explicitly state it. Um, if he was actually lying or not, like, I th I'm like, oh, I think he's lying. But, like, I couldn't quite tell, because, like, who's to say she couldn't have lived and her name wasn't Senna? I was, like, the trying to, like, thread the lore stuff there for a second just, like, really pulled me out of the moment. And I was, like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, yeah, Kingdom Hearts, man. It's sad when they go away and then everybody forgets you. It was really sad when they did it there. The, the thing that gets me is, like, they don't even explicitly Kingdom Hearts it until Rukia comes in five seconds after this scene happens and goes, oh, by the way, you're going to start to forget about her immediately. <laughs> and then Ichigo's like, but I can still hear her voice. 
and that's that's how they kingdom hearts it yeah she's like as as the uh, energy of the blanks fades we're we're all gonna forget like senna existed and that all this happened and he says you know yeah we are i that's the thing the, the part that i really like about this is ichigo like saying in kind of an optimistic way like yes he's not sad that he's going to forget her he's happy that he remembers her now even though he's going to forget her Mm -hmm. which i think is a very sweet like sentiment to have and also that particular bit is something that i feel isn't touched on and shown in a ton Um, yeah when there's like something that's fleeting and it's like but it's good that we had it like it's it's cool that we actually had it yeah like, I, I want to be clear. I do like this scene. Like, I'm not, like, trying to shit on it. It's it, it just, both with what Quinn said, of not really being clear on if he was lying or not, because I also, at this point in the movie, like, my focus was fading. Um, Like, that kind of pulling me out of it, and also them just doing the Kingdom Hearts thing. Both of those things kind of just pulled me out of the scene a little bit. And, like, I... I wish I could have really liked it. And that's the thing to me about like the movie writ large is I feel like if it was written differently, like there's a lot of elements here. There's pieces that they're playing with that could be like really affecting. And it just comes together in a way that doesn't do all that much for me. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of the problem is and to be clear, we're 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 also kind of stalling here because there is a post credit scene. I don't know if either of you saw the post credit scene. Oh no, I didn't. My friend who I was watching it with uh, cut out when the Aqua Times kicked in. <laughs> ah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, there is a post credit scene. It is very very short. Um, but um, I think most of my problems with the movie, uh stem from the fact that there's a lot of really cool and interesting things going on, especially in the first half of the movie. And then as soon as the second half of the movie kicks in, it's just the same bleach plot we're used to of a girl that Ichigo is like not into, but like just girl that is adjacent to Ichigo gets kidnapped. Ichigo has to go chase after them and fight big bad guy. And the thing is, you don't give a shit about the bad guy. He, you don't really understand his motives, just that he has motives, apparently. Uh, the fights don't really mean anything, because they all just kind of happen in, like, 15 seconds at a time, and then get, like, thrown to the side. And then, after all the fights happen for, like, 45 minutes or whatever... uh. Then it's like, oh, here's the Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days ending. Here you go. And it's like, oh, OK. <laughs> it's like that. That's it. That's the Bleach movie. Yeah, like the thing as sick as the fights and like the high budget animation that they reserve for that those fights are. Uh, the thing about them is if you removed all three of like the captain fights that happen in this and even if you remove, like, the Renji and Rukia fights, mm-hmm. if all you did was go directly from the scene where Ichigo is fighting, like, five of them, you have uh, Kenpachi, like, jump down and scatter them, you go from that to Ichigo fighting Ganryu, and, like, the movie remains cohesive. Yes. Like, yeah. you, you could just remove literally everything in between, and nothing changes, no stakes are different at all. 
like no character beat is lost you absolutely you lose absolutely nothing in the movie except the really sick animations and i think that there's ways like that's a that's a a really solid avenue of criticizing it my personal criticism is also that in the moment-to-moment experience of it it doesn't justify itself for the most part like i'm not getting enough spectacle to care about Mm. what's happening for like a third of the movie um because the scenes are are empty and they're like they're transparently empty and if there was like a little bit more flash or like something there i might have been gripped enough that i wouldn't really care if they didn't change the stakes materially um and so it's just kind of insult to injury i guess yeah, it's like they yeah. move to full spectacle. They they full they move to no thoughts, head empty, full spectacle mode, and then the spectacle is arguably less interesting to watch than say uh, most of the Biakia versus Ichigo fight or like someone achieving Bankai in the show. Like mm-hmm. you get a couple cool like tracking shots of action of like following the chain missiles or whatever, but that's about it. The, the majority of the stuff in this movie that is interesting to me is the stuff we get with Senna, um, because I, I do think she is the heart of this movie. I, I, I think they they really try to focus on her, but I just don't think she has enough depth to carry it. And this, I, this is coming as somebody who likes Senna. Um, I think she ends up kind of feeling one note, and that one note is inoffensive and likable enough but they don't really do enough with her to make you really care about her well they also throw her away the halfway through right right yeah and i think that my criticism then also sort of complements that in that you get the thing going in the other direction with the clan of darkness where they're pretty poorly established and really poorly fleshed out. And so neither of these sides of the story are getting enough like attention and focus and craft as, as they should. And especially with like the Shinigami doing all this cop stuff, you wind up in a situation where it looks a lot like, Oh, okay. And this is sort of my problem with the political imaginary of bleach as always, is that they love to point to the Shinigami being cops. But ultimately, their decision is always like, yeah, but, like, they do their job. And so that's good. And it's cool that that happens, because it would be really bad if we didn't have the police. Um, And so you don't even have, like, a legitimate... you, You don't have a sense for the legitimacy of the grievance of the clan that's been banished like it would be really cool for us to get a real answer as to why they were banished i think that would do a lot more for the movie than they they even think especially because again it can pull this thing out where you're highlighting this like very legitimate criticism of the way that the soul society works the way that it is incredibly uh penal and it is very um like retributive it is very like ostensibly fascist in a lot of senses 
Yeah. Um, but because the Clan of Darkness is out there and they want to literally blow up the world, I guess, what is there to do but team up with them? And Bleach sort of does that over and over and over again. It's so bizarre, too, because there is there really is a moment halfway into this movie where, when all the Soul Reapers are, like, lining up and they're like, okay, we gotta go after Senna because there's something fucky with her. We're very clearly doing something wrong here. And Ichigo goes, wait, you guys are cops. And then immediately steps in to protect Senna. And then the moment that the Clan of Darkness gets involved, that's just thrown out the window. They just get ready to go fucking fight the Clan of Darkness or whatever, and they team up again. Oh, I am remembering from the depths of my memory. Ukitake mentions in one really quick line, he says, that clan tried to assert power, and they got banished. He does say that, yeah, that is true. We don't ever under- we don't ever learn why they do, or whatever. So it's like, you know, still incredibly ambiguous- mm-hmm. And I, I fully agree that, like, this clan doesn't have any fucking, like, reason for us to think that they're evil other than the fact that they're calling themselves the Clan of Darkness. Or any reason to think that they're good. They're just vil- They're, you know, they're very one- They're maybe the most one-note villains that Bleach has other than its cartoonishly evil hollows. Right, and it's just very frustrating, again, because, oh, why did they try to usurp power? Did they actually try to usurp power, or is that just what people say? Like, there, there's a lot that you can pull into, and again, it, it's frustrating because, like, the the canon of Bleach often does this sort of thing, where they'll they'll point out something, like, incredibly fucked up about the Soul Society, um, and sort of expect you to sit with that and be like, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't very good. But then, like, the second we need a cool badass to show up, they're like, actually, no, it's totally fine. Uh, We got 12 super thick, ripped, corded badass men who are going to show up, and they're going to be oiled up, and they got their swords, and they're going to win, and we're going to love it. And it's just like, come on. It's it's like especially egregious, too, because you, you go back and you sit here and you think about it, right? And it's like, the Soul Society is a place we know experimented on dead human bodies uh, to make basically pills with superpowers. And that's what Cone is. And you think about that and you go, hey, that's kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then we know they committed genocide on the Quincy's. That happened. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Uh, we We know... Because there's an entire 40-episode arc, well, two arcs dedicated to Ichigo going to Soul Society to save Rukia, who has been wrongfully, like, imprisoned because she, you know, like, did her job, basically, in a way they didn't like, and is being threatened to be executed. And to to be fair there, like, there's more Aizen bullshit there that's just like, oh, Aizen's pulling the strings. But it's like, the second Aizen comes into the picture, uh, it's the same deal, where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter that these guys are cops, because this guy's worse. It's such a disappointment, too, because the Aizen thing is all like, yeah, these guys are like, the copiest cops who ever copped, and also, 
a couple of them are going, man, it's kind of fucked up that we're getting these orders. But whatever, they're orders. We're just going to follow them. And so you're right. like, okay, this is clearly going somewhere. And then it goes, no. And what it does to me, I think, is ultimately, and this is like my my big galaxy brain like media analysis thing, is that it ultimately it naturalizes this is the state of being for the universe where you're allowed to look at things being wrong um but because it it gets naturalized and it's sort of like this assumed thing you take for granted that this is the foundation of the soul society and that these are sort of ongoing violences that are committed against the people who live in soul society who aren't part of the Gote 13 and like people beyond that and you you take that as sort of this thing that it, it's like the wind or or gravity. It's like yeah, that that that's true. But like, what do you want me to do? Rewrite physics? I can't do that. Um, and so the best that you can sort of hope for in the political imaginary is to ascend beyond the state where you are a subject of that violence to ascend to the place where you're the person who gets to inflict it. And I think that's pretty fucked up. Mm. Incredibly fucked up. I I think there is a world where Bleach, instead of kind of reveling in this, where it just kind of meanders through itself and stumbles upon it. And frankly, I don't, I personally don't think Kubo has any idea what he's written into being in this way. I think he just goes, wow, that's kind of fucked up. Hey, anyway, here's a cool sword. Um, I I, yeah. I think there's a world in which Bleach actually tries to say something about this and is far more interesting and better for it. Um, and it just never does that. It never takes that extra step. It just kind of points to the things that are fucked up and then tries to make you forget that those things are fucked up by throwing in a flashy battle and they're god damn um there's there's one moment in the thousand year blood war arc that really brings this into focus and i'm gonna say it here and you can cut it out but i just like i need to say this let's just do a little like clap for spoilers okay uh and i'll just like i'll i'll, I'll literally just like put out a little message in here that's like hey there's spoilers here skip to this whatever okay so yeah so, spoilers for the Thousand Year Blood War arc. Something that really gets me about this is that there's a part early on in the Thousand Year Blood War arc where people have disappeared from an outlying district of the Soul Society. And they're able to piece together that it was a conflict between two groups because there are barefoot footprints and there are sandaled footprints that are present. And... They talk about, in this very sort of strange way, how this outlying district is incredibly poor, and it's always going to be incredibly poor, and it's so poor that no one here has been able to afford or fashion sandals for a half a thousand years. And, like, nobody in power thought to do anything about it? Yeah, well, it's like the... Very, like, very early on, on the first trip to Soul Society, they're like, hey, did you know there's 99 districts or whatever, or a hundred and some districts of just 
the poor, they're all out there. We call them things like the district of hanging dogs. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's where most of the society lives. And when you go to that society, most of the people in those streets are going to shank you. Right. (laughs) It's just like, oh, that's okay. But also there's the Serete, which is like a fully militaristic uh, society. Which, again, the thing that it does politically is it is displacing the violence to where instead of enacting violence upon your neighbor because of the material circumstances that you find yourself in, you're displacing that violence outward on criminals and transgressors uh, so that you you get to within your like beautiful, pristine, like pearly white walls not have to interact with any of it not to even get into the way that bleach seems to view crime and poverty which is also just a whole can of worms it really is and how you can be like literally lifted out of it by going to military school right The only means of social mobility in the Soul Society is fucking joining the cops. You join the cops or you die without shoes. And those are your two options. And Kubo loves to point at that and go like, whoa, isn't that fucked up? But then again, the second like things get heavy or like things start like heating up. He's like, yeah, but it is cool that they're cops, and um, he's got a sword that turns into a bone snake, and he's got one that turns into a giant guy with armor, and it's like, yeah, I guess that is cool, but like, it would be way cooler if the people rose up and killed them <laughs> uh, and usurped their power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, this guy is a real villain, Mr. King Cop, the noblest of noble from Noble Mountain. But also, it's really cool when noblest of noble from Noble Mountain comes in and fights a bad guy. Because his bloodline's so cool, is the thing about it. He's got a great bloodline. The worst part about it is that, even though, like, 100% I agree with all of these points, and, like, I'm with you, the worst part is when the guy comes, when the noblest noble from Noble Mountain comes in, and, you know, uses his fucking Senban Zakra and uses a fucking thousand flower petals to cut a guy open. I'm like, yeah, that is cool. And for a moment, I try not to think about the politics of Bleach because it's so abhorrent in so many ways that, like, thinking about it for far too long just makes it, like, a really hard experience to enjoy. Yeah, and... I feel you there. We've all retweeted the, uh, we've all retweeted, yeah, it is cool when the one true king reclaims his rightful throne, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, that's the thing. Like, media doesn't need to be perfect. Um, media doesn't always even need to be, like, ideologically um, good, I guess, to be enjoyable. Like, that's sort of the story of Bleach. Like, I like a lot of Bleach despite itself. Um, and sometimes my brain gets fully turned on and I can't stop thinking and I like tug at the strings. Um, and other times I can look and I can just be like, oh my God, that sword's so big. I think Wabisuke is the coolest fucking thing in the world. (laughs) I said that earlier. Wabisuke is so sick. Wabisuke rules. He makes it heavy. Yeah. And it's like, like bleach, 
Bleach doesn't help itself because it is constantly pointing at this. Yes, that's, that's I think, my frustration mm-hmm. there, is what you're saying. If Bleach was always just about, look at how, these cool, how fucking cool these asshole cops are being, you'd be like, okay, sure, they're asshole cops, but whatever. But Bleach is always, like, so close. It's always so close to, like, saying something interesting about these characters. It, it's so close. It's on the rim. Kubo really wants you to think that there's, like, some more interesting, like, political ideology behind all of this and that Ichigo is going to say something. Because the thing is, Ichigo gets really close to saying all, like, all of these things. He is somebody who, when he first goes to Soul Society, is like, wow, this is kind of fucked up. He is the conduit at which Bleach pokes at all of this and says, hey, isn't this kind of fucked up? But then the second the plot needs him to, he every single time without fail goes, well, it's fucked up, but not as fucked up as that guy who took the Hogyoku and is like going and fucking off to the hollow world. And we see that happen here in this movie where they show up and they're going to take Senna, and he's like, wait, no, guys, you're cops. No way, dude. And then Senna gets taken by the eviler guys, uh, and then they show back up, and he's like, what is up, my dudes? Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) It is, unfortunately, the spin cycle of Leech. (laughs) Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to, To kind of wrap things up, I realize we have not talked about the post credit scene oh, yeah. in this movie. Ichigo walks to Slashback from school and he catches a familiar red ribbon that had been flying in the wind. He sees an energetic girl that reminds him of Senna run through a crowd and laughing. And then he smiles and keeps going. That is the entirety of the scene. It is the most Kingdom Hearts shit. It is a great scene. Though. No, you know what You know what it is? It's a Teen Titans scene. That's what it is. This is Terra showing up at the end of Teen Titans. <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen that show in so fucking long. Oh, fuck. Am I going to have to go watch Teen Titans? There are worse shows you could bitch. That's true. That's true. Well, I wasn't expecting to have a, like, 30-minute-ish talk about the politics of Bleach as a whole. I'm glad we did, well, Sometimes you do a podcast and it starts with some discussion of um, Hot Men, Five Nights at Freddy's, and it ends with... Talking about uh, the naturalization of uh, fascist ideology so that the participants in that society can't, like, enact escape from it. I'm always saying this. <laughs> I, you know, there's just really that, you know, William Afton to fucking talk about fascism pipeline. And, you know, I I think every podcast should have this pipeline. Never one without the other. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Well, Quinn, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. I I am really happy with how this episode has turned out, frankly, and I'm excited to get to editing it. But um, I just wanted to close out as we usually do uh, and, you know, say thank you for listening to the show. Um, we, We will be back next week with a more normal episode, most likely. Um, and you know, you can find the show on Twitter at Bleachcast, and you can find me on Twitter at Lavender underscore Pause. You can find me on Twitter at SSBSLJ. Uh, Quinn, feel free to plug 
any project you may have. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. You can find me on Twitter at MonkeyPieQuinn. That is M-O-N-K-I-P-I-Q-U-I-N-N. I run an actual play podcast called Arms of the Tide. We're going to be coming back from our uh, year and change long hiatus pretty soon here, but I don't have an exact date. I will post about it on my Twitter when that happens. Uh, or you can follow us at uh, Arms of the Tide. And uh, yeah, uh, I think that's it for me. Y- you also you also did like recently do a guest one shot on a podcast called Anime Sickos that I had never heard of before becoming friends with you. Uh, and it is the silliest, wackiest shit. And people should go listen to that. Please go listen. Oh, to Oh, yes. That. I had a lot of fun doing that. It, it just came out. It's super fun. Arms of the Tide dabbles in that tone a little bit, but it tends to tends toward the more serious. Uh, but oh my god, I had so much fun. And in general, I'll just shout out Anime Sickos. They're a great podcast that isn't even that much about anime. <laughs> it, it, I need to get further in there because what little I did listen to, I, I, I loved. Very good show. Um, but yeah, I think that'll about do it for us this time. Uh, this is going to be an extra length episode because I am just now <laughs> looking at our recording and it is currently at the two hour and 13 minute mark, which I think is a record for us, frankly. Uh, but you know, it, there was a lot to talk about. Uh, it, it was a movie for sure. Um, as always, thank you for listening. I hope you all have a great week. Stay cool chats. Nisa. Prepare the keto cannon. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Prepare the keto cannon. <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll cut that one in. I'll I'll replace the original one with that. Fuck.
まじゃ言い表せないでだから僕たちは微笑み色鮮やかにすぎる秋を取れみ電車って冬を背に春の木漏れ日を待ち新しく生まれ変わる誰かを守れるようにと「伝えなきゃならないことがある」